0: Jenny! Well, we're starting a new series today, a
1: four-week series called The Season of Life. So the question is, what season of life are you in? What season of life are you in? Uh, First point of of this message is this, everyone is in a season of life. Everyone is in a season of life. Uh, We have seasons that we mark through the year, but then there's seasons of life, uh, ages and stages through life. So what season are you in? How do you look back on the seasons of your life? Some better, some worse. Uh, Janet and I just celebrated uh, our 38th anniversary. We both agree on that. But we have a difference of perspective in that I would say it's 38 awesome years. Janet would say maybe 35. I'm not sure if she's serious or kidding me. But what season of life are you in, and how do you look back on the seasons of your life? Some better, some worse. We're all in different seasons, even in the same season of the year. One of the interesting things is that you can be having the same experience environmentally, situationally with someone, and yet be having a different experience based on your season of life. Uh, I met with a newly engaged couple this last week, and it was so fun processing with them uh, not just a wedding, but, but marriage. And uh, they had done this premarital assessment where, where we're working through all the content there. And it was really neat. Their feedback was, I'm learning so much. Oh, my gosh, this is going to be so great for our marriage. And I'm thinking, gosh, I'm being reminded of so much. This will be so great for my marriage uh, to Janet. Uh, different seasons of life, an engaged couple and a, and a 38-year married uh, couple. And both of us are saying, isn't it interesting how we experience marriage? Uh, Some things are true in every season of life. Uh, With all the diversity of people's experience of seasons of life, here's some things that are true in every season of life. We never outgrow our need to learn. Uh, You've heard people talk about being a lifelong learner. This is how God made us. He has created us to be lifelong learners. When you're through learning, you're through, as somebody has said. So we never outgrow our need to learn. We never outgrow our need to give and receive love. It might seem obvious to you, but what does it mean to give and receive love at different ages and stages of life, different seasons of life? Uh, for example, going back to marriage, uh, romantic love is a great way to launch a relationship, but it's a poor way to sustain a relationship. Romance can be a, a, a thread, a continuity through an entire lifetime together as a married couple. But romantic love uh, as it's as it's presented in the media, uh, uh, as as it's held up in our culture, can't sustain the challenges, the demands of really deep love. And this is where uh, how do you how do you learn to give and receive love uh, at different ages and stages of life? We never outgrow our need for God. It might go without saying. Well, of course not. Well, then, if that's the case, why is it that as people uh, go through life and if they have a faith in Christ that they seem to read the Bible less. They reflect on it less. Uh, They seem to take take some things for granted. Uh, You hear people sometimes in church saying, um, I think I'm bored of my faith. It's not enough. I need more. Well, what that's saying is perhaps your God is too small because we never outgrow our need for God and if we think we've outgrown our need for God, that He's not enough, what's happened in us? In terms of our perspective, in terms of our focus, um, we've gotten comfortable with God being a, a certain way in our life, having a certain place in our life, and we fail to see how awesome He is, how magnificent He is. So we never outgrow our need for God. We never outgrow our need for wonder, affirmation, or purpose. Uh, if, you, if you think of childhood as being the age of wonder, uh, the defining uh, characteristic of childhood is wonder, a sense of wonder. Uh, of youth, uh, adolescence, would be uh, affirmation, a sense of of needing to be affirmed, not just that you're awesome, but rather affirming me who I am as a developing human being. And then also then as an adult, uh, the prevailing need is for purpose. And yet we never lose wonder or the need for affirmation as we reflect on our purpose as an adult. In fact, if you lose a sense of wonder and you lose that sense of affirmation, that I'm a, a person of worth, I have something to contribute, it's a lot harder uh, to get our head and our heart and our hands around our purpose. So we never outgrow our need to learn, to give and receive love, our need for God, or to, or to experience uh, and to embrace wonder, affirmation, and purpose. So what does that look like and feel like in this season of your life? Uh, if you're in elementary school, how are you experiencing wonder? If you are in middle school, high school, college, how are you processing that need for affirmation? Who's giving you that? Where are you, where are you getting it? Where are you seeking it? And then as an adult, uh, where are you in this season of your life as it relates to your purpose? Is it clear to you what your purpose is? And of course, that's, that's multi-level, right? What's, the, what's your purpose within your family, uh, your marriage, uh, your, your role as a parent? Uh, what's your purpose in, in the marketplace? What's your purpose in the community? Uh, what, what's your purpose in terms of God's purposes? So big questions that we ask. What does that look like and feel like in this season of your life? Uh, another way of asking it would be, where are you in your relationship with Christ in this season? Uh, what are the things you're asking of Him uh, to teach you, to show you? What are the things you're bringing to Him where well, you need help, you need guidance, you need input? What are you learning about the Lord that's giving you a deeper, a deeper, deeper sense of your own humanity and a much larger sense of His divinity, Right? So the first point then is everyone is in a season of life. And the second point being every season requires essential and appropriate commitments and tasks. Every season of life demands of us, requires of us some essential and appropriate commitments and tasks. So little kids, their commitment and task is to play, <laughs> to discover, to, to engage uh, in, in the world around them. There's nothing more fun than being around a three-year-old. Uh, unless they've missed a meal or a nap, but a three-year-old is in this vertical growth curve of of, of uh, discovering all kinds of great things in their life. Uh, and one of the tasks then would be to learn how to to communicate, uh, to talk, to become more independent, getting potty trained, right? To learn how to share with other kids, uh, to to be able to go to school, preschool, let's say. Uh, wonderful. What about a person in their in their twenties? Uh, out of college, uh, entering into a career, uh, done with uh, college or graduate school, now they're doing something professionally. One of the big tasks and commitments uh, for somebody in, their, somebody in their 20s, early 30s, is, is can I make a contribution? Do I have what it takes? What will it take for me to be taken seriously in this job, in this role? And of course, as you move into your late 30s and 40s and 50s, you're now really talking about a person who's contributing. Uh, who is, is in charge of some people, managing some people perhaps. Lots lots more experience, much more responsibility. And so there's some tasks and commitments that go with that. Maybe you're now married and you have kids, you're caring for children. Uh, you're caring for a product line or services, uh, You know, business processes, research. All the things that are tasks now for you uh, are, are essential and, and appropriate that you have those. How about when you're way older in life? What would that look like? What would be the essential and appropriate tasks and commitments you make? How about being generative? That is, uh, investing in other people, giving to other people by way of informally or formally coaching them, encouraging them. Not lecturing them or barging in on their life, but saying, hey, at this age of stage, uh, what would it look like for me to to affirm what I see in uh, the younger generations below me? to encourage that sense of wonder, to help people prepare to engage in their purpose. So you see how powerful that is. And we must understand and embrace these value-driven tasks and commitments. And so at any point uh, in childhood, youth, adulthood, you start to feel bored or stale, Uh, that's a trigger, uh, a warning, an alarm, if if you think, think of it that way, that gosh, maybe I am neglecting some essential commitment and task, that if I embraced it and engaged in it, I would feel alive. I'd be hungry in the sense of I, I want to do something. I want to get something done. I want to make a difference. I love the way in First Chronicles 12, it, uh, it talks about the men of Issachar. Israel was in a really challenging situation. I won't go into all the details on it. But it says in, in that passage in 1 Chronicles 12, from Issachar there were men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. We uh, are blessed to become people of understanding. It doesn't mean we know everything, but it means we're engaged enough in our own life, paying attention enough to the Lord and in our own life, to what's going on around us and within us, that we'd say, I understand what needs to be done. And whether or not we can provide that, we, we know how to go find that, to ask for that, uh, to, um, to identify that. So understanding the times is the convergence of, of chronos and kairos. We've talked about this before. <clears throat> chronos is, is <clears throat> seconds and minutes and hours, and days, weeks, months, uh, decades. Chronos is the way we mark time. Kairos is how we seize the time, how we make sense of the time, how we make the most of the time. What time is it in your life? And so understanding the times is this convergence of how we go through time. Time is, is something created by God. God lives and exists beyond time. But we're defined by time. In fact, uh, one of the great things that we do is, is to take time for a Sabbath, holy time. All of life is holy. But to take some particular time to say, I want to be still and know the Lord. I want to be still and worship Him. I want to be still and, and feed on His Word, be replenished by His Spirit. This can happen throughout you know, all the days of the week. But but typically, uh, historically, the people of God have taken time for a Sabbath, holy time. And in that holy time, that that marking off of time, one day out of seven, we have a, 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 an experience of kairos. Uh, it is good to be in the presence of the Lord. And, and, and we start to understand our lives and understand what time is it in my life? Uh, the writer of, of Ecclesiastes talks about this. And it's not about perfection, but about paying attention. And so the writer of Ecclesiastes makes these observations about timeliness. We see this in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, 1 to 8. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to root. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. Basically, uh, we, people, need time to become wise, to discern the times in which we live, to become people of understanding. This wisdom takes time. Again, it's not about uh, the perfection, it's practice that makes, not perfection, but practice that makes perseverance, staying power, resilience, uh, resourcefulness. This idea that And not just an idea, but the reality of growing in the fullness of our humanity, our personhood, because the fullness of God is guiding us and leading us. We're abiding in him so that we are fruitful through him. Powerful, powerful, powerful. And and the younger we start, the better it is. Uh, That's why the writer of Ecclesiastes says in chapter 12, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Don't put off getting to know the Lord and the ways of him. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. How sad it would be to come to a place of life where you say, I find no pleasure in life. Again, that sense of boredom uh, and and plateauing, let's say, is, is inevitable as a human being in a fallen world. But you can't live there. Why? Because it sucks the life out of us. And so those things are times when we realize, oh my gosh, I need either rest, I need restoration, I need renewal. I need realignment. I need a rebirth. And so Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 1 to 9, commands us to teach our children how to live well. If you remember, it says, these commandments are to be on your hearts, to impress them on your children. Talk about them. When you do this, when you do that. When you're at home, when you're out of the home. This, this notion that we need to be saturated in the presence of God, filled by the presence of God, engage in a community that finds its identity and its ultimate meaning and purpose, its wonder and awe, in the person of God. And that's how we will, in a sense, make the most of every season and make those appropriate and essential commitments and tasks that allow us to be developing through the whole scale and the whole process of life. So our seasons are shaped by what's in our heart, what's in our head, what's in our hands. What are you putting in your head? What ideas are shaping your thinking? What things are shaping your heart? That is, the core commitments that you're making, the core values that you embrace. What, what is in your hand that you can use to honor and glorify God and bless people? What in your hand would express who you are, the work that you, you, you do, the contribution that you make? Is it really true to you? Are are you doing work that you think you're supposed to do? If so, it won't be very satisfying. You probably won't be very good at it. But when you find out what what God has put in your hands, however humble or exalted that might be, and you do that, it's a powerful way of seizing the season of life. And it shapes the plot of your life. It gives meaning and purpose to the contours of your life. You can say, I've lived a really good life. Not because I've necessarily made the most money or got the most regard, but because I've done with what God has given me in my head, my heart, my hands, that makes me feel most alive in season and out of season. I love how the Apostle Paul described himself as a, as a man coming late to the party. He, he had been raised with that, uh, that, that that content out of Deuteronomy. Here's who the Lord is. But at some point, uh, when he was re- re- confronted with the fact that God himself had kept his promises in Christ. God was doing a new work. He'd come to redeem the world that he'd promised to redeem. Uh, Saul, later Paul, uh, was, was resisted to it. He didn't understand what time it was in the life of Israel or in his own life. And so when he finally came to know Christ, he said, "Oh, it's like I was, I was born too late. See, when Jesus confronted Paul, he said, why are you fighting against me, Paul? Against Saul, he later became Paul. Why are you fighting against me? Who are you, Lord? It's me, Christ, who you're persecuting, and the people you're persecuting. Don't you recognize what time it is? The kingdom of God is at hand. And so as Paul receives Christ, in fact, it a new name from Saul to Paul, a new, a new calling uh, uh, from being a, a persecutor of God's people to being an apostle on behalf of Christ to people. And so as he summarizes the gospel in First Corinthians chapter 15, he says, well, this is what the gospel is. That Jesus came and did these things and died for our sins and rose again from the dead. And he appeared to these people. And he said, in, 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 a, in, a, in a wild and wonderful way, he, he, is, he appeared lastly to me as one born too late, too long in gestation before being born. And so Paul had this sense of, ah, oh, I'm late to the party, but I'm going to make the most of it. And so you see him living this life with new intensity and intentionality. So much so that he, he can write to Timothy as young protege. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Reflecting on his own life now in Christ, speaking to young Timothy, he's not being nostalgic. He's calling Timothy's attention to this incredible privilege of living fully in each season of life. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Perfectly? No. But this is what I've done in the name of Christ. And he says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, I mean, excuse me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Powerful words. Powerful words, uh, honestly and humbly reflecting uh, Paul's experience in the seasons of life that he's been walking with Christ. It's wise counsel, coaching for living well in every season. Now, you can imagine Timothy and all of us responding to Paul's wise counsel. Imagine if we could see Timothy's response. Perhaps it would sound like this. Paul, thank you for the letter. Because of your word and example, I too am fighting the good fight. However imperfectly, however inconsistently, I'm fighting the good fight. By the power of Christ in me. I'm running the race. I'm keeping the faith. I know there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will also award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You see, it's practice and perseverance. I'm not racing against you or anybody else. I'm not fighting against you or anybody else, right? I'm not keeping the faith to impress anybody else. I'm fighting the good fight, running the race, keeping the faith in Christ. And it's marvelous how in each season of life, the Lord wants to customize uh, what that looks like in each one of us, that all of us together can be doing the same thing, but appropriate to the seasons of life that we're in, fulfilling all those wonderful commitments and tasks That go with whatever season of life that we're in. So how does this speak to you in this season of your life? Everybody's in a season of life. Everybody has commitments and tasks appropriate to that season of life. So here's the third point then. The Lord works in us and through us in every season of life. Will we respond to him in every season of life? Or will we assume that, well, I, I know enough. I've done enough. I've lived enough. Or will we say, you know, I am so thankful to be accepted unconditionally by Christ through his grace and love that it calls out of me this desire to continue learning and living and discovering how powerful that is? The Lord working in us through every season of life, whether we're at the beginning, the middle, or the end. You see, change is inevitable. Typically, human beings experience change often initially as loss. That's a who, who moved my cheese scenario, if you've ever seen that, that business book. A, a, a clever uh, uh, metaphor for change. A, a mouse saying, somebody stole my cheese. So who moved my cheese? We, we experience change as loss before we often experience it as gain. Changes both gain and loss, depending on what perspective, right? But there are certain necessary losses. When a little child goes off to school, mom and dad might feel like, oh, we're losing our baby, they're going to school. When a, when a, when a, when a kid grows up and leaves home to go to college, you're thinking, uh, it's a, it's a, I'm losing my kid. Well, it's a necessary loss. You need to let them go so they can continue growing, that God can continue developing them. Uh, it's when uh, your child gets married. You think, am I losing my child Now you're gaining an extended family. You see, all these necessary losses are really necessary and wonderful gains. So take heart in that. Take comfort in that. Take hold of that in this season of life. That the Lord is working in you and through you. And that we get the privilege of of, uh, experiencing uh, the glory of God. And and through experiencing the glory of who God is, uh, the privilege of, of blessing people in His name, just by being us in Him. And here's five reasons why. Because God has created us for a great adventure of discovery and development. And secondly, that God invites us to draw close to Him to receive the healing power of His love. And third, that God is preparing us for life, giving us strength to prevail and flourish in life, whether it's at the very beginning or at the very end. Remember, when you're through learning, you're through. You're never through learning until finally one day you open your eyes and you, you're in the presence of God and you're saying, wow, that was fast. Again, it's not just getting more knowledge, like, like accumulating more stuff. It's about becoming wise in the ways of God. And that's what calls out of us this deep, deep desire uh, to be learning his ways, knowing that he's preparing us, giving us strength to prevail and flourish all the way through life even in those times of life when the losses feel uh, so painful. Fourth, God sees our true value and develops our character by refining us often in fire. You know how hard it is to go through change in life and, and sometimes what feels like the demands, the disparities of each season in life. But if we see that as God's faithfulness in us, that Jesus said, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age, That if if we sense that we're being refined by fire, that life is difficult and challenging, it's not just because we live in a fallen world, it's because we're filled with a risen Savior who loves us enough and values us enough to refine our characters, to conform us to His image. So rather than see these things as as fails, or God's hard-heartedness toward us, we say because He loves us, He's allowing us this discipline of development and discovery, like a little kid experiences, that we now see that our character is being refined as in fire, being strengthened, being purified. So the fifth thing is that God's word shows us how to bequeath a legacy of blessing to others. If we're paying attention to him in these times of refinement, submitting ourselves to his purposes for us, what we're, what we're developing and what we're able to then bequeath is a legacy of hope in Christ, wisdom from Christ, understanding of, of the ways of Christ. We get to share that with the people that we influence. Everybody has a sphere of influence, right? Now, you've got to earn the right to be heard by those you want to influence. You can't just, um, again, barge into somebody's life and tell them what to do. But the older we get, uh, we have this legacy and sometimes the legacy is we give uh, our children things or resources that help them. But more, more, most important and, and, and more important than anything else is that we're giving them a perspective on what it means to walk with Christ. Show them how, what it looks like in Christ to succeed. Or to show them what it looks like in Christ to suffer. What it looks like in Christ to be right. What it looks like in Christ to be wrong and have to repent and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? See, in our, in our accomplishments, as, as much as in our, our, our inconsistencies and failures, we're, we're bequeathing a legacy to those we love. We're demonstrating what it means to be a man or a woman of God. Again, not perfect, but one who is persevering, fighting the good fight, running the race, keeping the faith. So what season are you in? You might be trying to figure that out. It might not be really clear to you. You might say, well, I'm this age, in this stage, these are my circumstances, what would I call this season? And, and usually every season has, a, is, has a, a mixed bag of things, some great things, some things that are not so great. But generally speaking, what season are you in? Welcome that. Welcome the fact that I'm in this season. Don't say, oh, oh I wish I was back in that season, or I wish I, I was over here in this season that's coming up. Live fully in the present. Appreciate what's, what's preceded. And, uh, and, and anticipate what's ahead but live in the present welcome the season grow in it thank God for it embrace this season as a gift of grace and live it with, with that sense of awe and wonder receiving the affirmation of God that he is with you and for you discovering in a new and fresh way your purpose in this season of life perhaps this is a season of intense work and development in you perhaps it's a season of rest perhaps it's a season of listening as much as it is speaking again the men of Issachar were wise because they understood the times and what Israel needed in this season of life are you understanding what you need and what others need from you are you willing to make those commitments are you willing to be focused on your journey in Jesus in this season of life not as in wishful thinking or postponed living, but absolutely focused on the fact that, Lord, uh, I am so uncertain uh, of what I'm supposed to be doing. Speak to me, guide me, lead me. Oh, Lord, I have a good sense of what I'm supposed to be doing. Please give me the wisdom to do it well, the discernment I need to make the right, sh- right choices. Take full advantage of the community you're in. If you're not in, close to people in the community in Christ, let that be part of this season's task and commitment. Maybe start reading the Bible in a new and fresh way. Uh, Maybe read some books that will challenge some of your assumptions. In any case, uh, understand that this season matters. Don't waste it. Don't miss it. Do everything you can do. Live fully in it and encourage those uh, around you as they live fully into their season of life. Cheer them on. They go deep uh, into the season of their life. that You might experience that wonderful mutuality that allows uh, you to be going through the same season In a different season, in the company of other people. We don't have to walk the same, we just get to walk together uh, in the seasons of life. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that that would be obvious to us that we are in your hands and that you are the Lord of our seasons. And that, Lord, we can discover what it looks like to live fully in the season that we're in right now. That through your word, through your Holy Spirit working in us, giving us wisdom and insight through wise counsels around us, uh, through the obvious circumstances and the not so obvious things, Lord, that we would get a sense of what this season is, that we wouldn't miss it, but we'd embrace it, welcome it, grow in it, thrive and flourish in it, that you would uh, use this season to heal things from the past, uh, to prepare us for things that are yet to come. Uh, We come into your presence, Lord, uh, in a time of Holy Communion. Uh, to receive this bread and this cup that you've made possible through your, your death and your resurrection. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You know, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and having blessed it, he said, uh, he broke the bread, and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Seize the season in which you are in. I am with you in it. In the same manner, he took the cup, His cup of wine, he blessed it. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And so as you receive Holy Communion uh, right now uh, or sometime today uh, or this week, take time uh, to, to receive Holy Communion. Understand that God himself is giving you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him right now of course forever. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine on you, and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you, that is to shine His glory on you that you might reflect it to others, even as you experience it in your own life. May you continue to trust in Him whose word is sure, whose commitment is clear, whose power is enough. Both now and forevermore, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.